This is a podcast of honest, raw, authentic conversations about how to live a hopeful life. Not in the rainbows and unicorns kind of way. Oh no. We're talking about hard stuff. Cancer, loss, fear, and much more. And also the good stuff. Love, laughter, connection. We're going to take time together to talk about how to find light in the darkness. I'm Lara McGregor, founder of Hope Scarves and the Hopeful Life Project. Join me as I navigate my own way of living joyfully with a terminal illness and talk to others who have also found a way to live a hopeful life. Life can change in an instant. Robin Keeper knows this firsthand. In this episode, Robin shares her story that starts with a romantic getaway in Cancun, complete with a surprise tuxedo and vow renewal orchestrated by her beloved husband, Tab, and then turns tragic when he develops a headache that changes the course of her life forever. Robin's story of perseverance, love, and determination is a reminder to all of us to just keep going. With an open heart, Robin shows us all what it means to live a hopeful life. Hi, I'm Robin, and living a hopeful life to me is finding joy in every day, even if it's the smallest of things. Robin, welcome to a Hopeful Life podcast. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. So Robin and I spent a lot of time together, not often over the podcast airwaves, um, because Robin is actually our newest staffer at Hope Scarves. And um, as we were talking about the podcast and she's encouraged me through the launch, I I just gently asked her if, if she'd be a guest because her story is a beautiful one of um, finding light in the darkness. And I've learned bits and pieces of it as um, co-workers, but I'm really honored to take time today to just sit together and talk about how you have lived through heartache and um, found light. So let's start with um, your connection to Hope Scarves. You started as a volunteer here. How did you find Hope Scarves? And, and tell, us, tell everyone a little bit about what you do here with our organization. Well, I'm honored to be here with you. And thank you for bringing me on staff. I'm very grateful for that. Um, I... I, well, I am a, a connections coordinator with Hope Scarves, and my job entails um, fulfilling weekly scarf requests for women and men battling multiple types of cancers. Um, the request will either be a personal or a gift request, and on that request will be a person's name, age, diagnosis, the stage of their cancer. Uh, color preference and style of scarf, such as a square scarf, oblong, infinity, a pre-sewn cap or shawl. Obviously, a shawl can't be worn on your head, but rather something to wrap in during treatment or even when they're at home. After I've chosen a scarf from our collection, I will then pair a story from thousands of stories shared by previous scarf recipients. From there, it gets wrapped up in this beautiful sheer organza bag, and now it's ready to go. This week, I sent out a scarf request to South Africa. It was our 26th country we have sent scarves to. Yes, we expanded to South Africa. It was so neat to see that scarf going there. It was. It truly is the sisterhood of the traveling scarves. It really Mm. is. And then choosing those scarves really, to me, is the most fun part of my job, although the rest is pretty awesome, but choosing that, <laughs> choosing that scarf, uh, knowing that soon this person will receive, it just brings me such joy. And I hope that it brings mm-hmm. them equal joy. Mm-hmm. 
When I wrap up Hope Scarves, which is not as often these days because we have such great volunteers and staff and I'm not in the assembly line as much um, nowadays. But when I do have the chance to wrap up a scarf, I always just pause and Mm -hmm. just like acknowledge, you know, the specialness of that scarf and just put a little intention into that bag, whether it's a prayer or mantra or just good juju, you know. Um, and I, and even though we are growing and sending hundreds of scarves a week, every scarf we wrap up is special. And we take that time to try to pick the very best scarf. And I think Robin, you do an exceptional job of that because I know you ponder over, you know, the type of diagnosis, their age, the color, like looking through the collection and finding the right scarf and, you know, looking at the story and the age. We really, I think it's important for people to know that when you and our volunteers, are selecting scarves, we, we take into account all those details of that scarf request and find a scarf that has the same type of story, same type of diagnosis, age, maybe geographic, maybe anything unique, like if they're pregnant when they were diagnosed or, you know, something like that really can kind of tailor that selection to pick the very, what we hope oh, will be sure. a, a really meaningful scarf and story for each recipient. So you get to do that week in and week out. Sometimes we try hard. It's a lot of scarves, isn't it? It's a lot of scarves and we're growing and it's awesome. But also it just, yeah, I, I, you just, you put that added love into to that knowing that, you know, they're, they're going through a, a big thing right now. And, mm-hmm. um, and I do other things, um, but that, that's, that's the most, you know, special part of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we enter stories and we enter scarf donations and we go have the scarves cleaned and we tag them and we put them in the system. And I help our director, um, our partnership director with scarf requests for her partnership program, Hope Scarves partnership program um, that, you know, we she's busy doing. And when I am done with all that, I wash the windows. <laughs> yes. You know, you, that is such a good point, Robin. Yes, because you are like, you're just the kind of person I, I love. I love this so much about you, Robin, because you're just like, what needs to be done? And you just like put your hands on your hips and you look around and then you start emptying the trash or breaking down cardboard boxes. Or like the other day, you just started washing the windows because they were really well, grimy. And that's yeah, just, just my- like, awesome. That might be my OCD a little, but so that's that's a story for another day. Well, we are Um, so glad that you have been a volunteer for so many years with Hope Scarves and that you have joined our staff and that we have your um, your bright, your bright light and your big heart um, helping us share scarves and stories because you understand the importance of connection of pausing and reflecting on our experiences and just how important it is to share love when people are facing a hard time. You get that. I get that. Thank you, Laura, for allowing me to be a part of such an incredible and amazing group of women at Hope Scarves and beats my soul. And I'm just grateful for that. And I just love what, what I'm doing. I found Hope Scarves because I had lost my mom Uh, It was five years ago, and I had been volunteering with Hospice because I'd lost my dad in 2009. And at that loss of my dad, I just wanted to give back to Hospice. He was in Hospice care, and I just felt like I had a calling to do that. So then my mom gets sick, and she was a metastatic breast cancer patient, Mm -hmm. and she... um, lost her battle with metastatic breast cancer, like I said, five years ago. And Mm -hmm. at that loss, um, that was a different kind of devastation um, than where we're going to go next. Um, Mm -hmm. That that devastation, losing my best friend and and my hero, um, I needed to go down a a different path of of grief. and, And after that, that little, you know, grieving time, it wasn't a lot of grieving time. I needed to do something. I needed that, that, that connection I felt like with my mom Mm -hmm. and a friend of mine was going through breast cancer treatment and she had posted a picture of her scarf 
She's a Michigan girl. I'm a Michigan girl. You're a Michigan girl. And um, I saw that Pam had requested a scarf from Hope Scarves in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm like, well, that's just, that's my neighbor. I mean, that's, I'm 15 minutes from Louisville. So I thought I'm going to look into this. And I sent an email and that email led to, we would love to have you volunteer. And three and a half years later, um, I was asked to we come on let you leave. Oh, oh gosh, <laughs> and how grateful I am. So that's how I found Hope Scarves. I just, I love that you needed to feel um, purpose as a way to help grieve losing your mom. And that a friend hundreds of miles away in Michigan, posting this picture, connected you to an organization around the corner from your house that you could volunteer with. And by um, by helping share love and support to other people facing cancer, that it helped you grieve and honor your mom. And um, so many of our volunteers have stories like that. Um, it's just really beautiful the way we've all found ourselves here in the Hope Scarf studio to spread love and light and hope um, as a way to honor people we love, to you know make sense of our own struggles, mm-hmm. to just bring good into the world. And um, we're so grateful we found you as a volunteer. You found us. And it's then, been a um, healing. It's been a very healing part of, of mm, everything. So mm. thank you. <laughs> oh, well, and right now we aren't able to have as many volunteers in our office because of COVID precautions. And we're all feeling this, the stretch of that because the volunteers are such a huge part of the impact and the work that we do here at Hope Scarves. Um, But you were such a fantastic volunteer that we decided um, we'd just start, maybe we'd pay you. (laughs) (laughs) That's always around. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, with all the amazing volunteers, I felt super grateful because there are so many and you chose me. Mm. Thank you. Well, you do make a mean chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) (laughs) Robin uh, Robin rarely comes in to volunteer or now to work without a great big smile and some fresh baked goods. So (laughs) you kind of like sealed the deal. Thank you. I love to bake. I do love to bake. (laughs) Uh, Well, we are. I'm so grateful that you're part of our story. And um, I think that just reflects on who we are as an organization when we talk about that sense of connection and and a family that we have here at the Hope Scarves studio. Um, we really just um, lift each other up. We laugh and we cry and we listen to each other's stories. And um, while we support people around the world, we also have a pretty beautiful community right here in our studio of, of friendship. And I'm grateful that you are part of that. Thank you. Before all of this, before you lost your mom and your dad, you had faced a, a heart-wrenching um, moment. I think, you know, often we say that life changes in an instant. And that certainly was true for you, Robin. Can you take us back to your trip to Cancun? It did. It changed in an instant. And that life isn't easy. We know this. Um, but having the floor drop out mm-hmm. from under you in a second is uh, that is life altering and, and very, mm-hmm. very traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened, Robin? What happened I, when you went out for your first vacation yes. away from your young children with your husband? Tell, set the stage for, for that exciting departure on that vacation. Okay. And what happened? Um, we, uh, my husband and I had never traveled. We, I was like this hoarder mom or not this hoarder mom I was this um I was this um mafia mom yeah mama bear (laughs) I never wanted to leave my kids I didn't want to put them in daycare I didn't you know kind of a germaphobe and and all that all that's happening so um we never left them we would occasionally go on a date night and have my parents watch them for a couple hours but I just was that mama bear and um 13 years it took 13 years into our marriage, my husband, Tab, he planned this 13-year wedding anniversary trip for me and surprised me with it. He had 
talked to my parents. He'd gotten everything arranged. He, the trip to Cancun, everything. I had no clue. Mm. I knew, I knew a few days before cause I had to pack cause mm. I wouldn't want him packing for me. So. <laughs> what a romantic. <laughs> so yes, he, he, he had it all planned and we lived, oh, 75 miles from my folks and the boys had gotten off school that day and my mom and dad traveled down to us and picked up the boys and said, here we go. You going on a trip and the boys didn't know. And they were, um, oh, great. We get to, you know, be pulled out of school for three days and go to mm-hmm. Nana and Papa's house. And how old were they? Um, eight and 11. Okay. And I, I, I probably, um, maybe shed a tear if that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> my, it's okay. my, my eight year old, this is, this is haunting to me. He, he's a mama's boy. And, and, and of course his dad was his, he idolized his dad, but he came up to me. I'll never forget this. He wrapped his arms around my leg and he looked up at me and he says, mom, I don't want you to go. And I'm like, Oh honey, it's just for, it's just for six days. Everything will be fine. You love going to Nana Papa's. And he's just like, I just don't want you to die. I don't want you or dad to die. And I said, oh, honey. And he said, um, I said, why would why, it, we're OK? Mm-hmm. He goes, I, he was afraid of us flying. He didn't want us to get on a plane. And it was just, it, you know, his his way of just, I think, saying. Um, you're going on a plane without me. And mm-hmm. but he said that and mm-hmm. um, that stems to. You know, it's been with me my whole life and it's been with him his whole life. But he said, we're going to be fine. And away we went. We went to uh, Chicago that night and boarded the plane the next day. And away we go to Cancun. We landed and had a and it was late in the day and got settled in. And the next morning, um, meandered around and didn't have an excursion plan till the next day. So we ended up just um, doing our thing that day. Well, he had had plans that evening at a restaurant, uh, a, a tux and dress. Oh. You know, he he actually packed me a dress because oh I didn't think gosh, to pack a nice dress. That's so romantic. It was. And he got down on one knee that night on the balcony when we got back from dinner and he re-proposed oh. with a new wedding set, the whole, when we got married, we were young. I was 19 and he was 24. Um, and I had a beautiful ring, but this was a little bigger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, not that, not the size matters, but, um, it was just, it was the whole romance, romantic, you know, it was just, um, it was kind of fairy tale and we had a beautiful evening and then the next day he woke up and had a headache um and we ate the same food and we kind of were told don't drink the water be careful of what you eat stay with the chains um and he just was nauseated we went to breakfast and he had to excuse himself and he was sick uh and came back and I said do you want to cancel that excursion and he said, no, no, I'll be fine. I just, you know, have a headache. And so we get on this bus uh, to go up. We went to the Mayan ruins and we we horse, we went horseback riding and we um, went on, saw a, a really cool show. And as the day progressed, his headache got worse. Mm. And at, at that point that we we're to board the bus to head back, to the resort, he said, I can't, can't get on the bus. I can't, the smells were, I mean, you know, uh, we were, oh, the water, there was some water bias. It was kind of fishy smelling and just, you know, just water smell. And he just was super nauseated and said, I just, mm. I can't do it. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? So we're trying to get a taxi and the taxi's like, oh, it's going to be like $500 because we were, we were a little ways away. But I said, we'll do it. If you can get us there quicker, um, we just need to get back. He doesn't feel well. Mm -hmm. So when we got back, um, 
I was just concerned. He hadn't had even a sniffle. He hadn't, you know, um, got the flu maybe, but I, I just thought his headache was so bad. So we called the, uh, the resort doctor and she came up and again, we're in Cancun, Mexico. I can barely understand, Mm -hmm. uh, she's, you know, she's very, um, choppy English mm-hmm. and I'm in her country. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to do my best mm-hmm. and uh, trying to understand. She's like, Oh, he's stressed. And I'm like, no, he, he's not stressed. I mean, we're, we're on, we're away on a vacation. This isn't business. And she's like, no, I just truly believe it's stress. And she gave him a shot for the headache and said, you'll be okay in the morning. And so we're like, okay. So hmm. all night was rough. It was, um, throwing up and headache. And by morning, he was sleeping, sleeping well. So I just kind of whispered that I was going to go down to the pool and with my book and lay out in the sun. And I would come back and check on him Mm -hmm. a couple hours. And he said, okay. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't 45 minutes. Um, he said he went out on the balcony and he, everything was a blur. Mm. He couldn't see me down at the pool, but he made his way to me and we were up on, I don't, can't remember what floor, but up pretty high. And he came down and he looked at me and he said, I need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I, there's something not right. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay. Do you feel worse? He goes, I don't know what, I just don't feel right. So I said, okay. And, um, we went to the front desk and said, we need a hospital. Can you help us? What do we do? And they're just like, we'll get you a taxi. They'll take you to a hospital. And all I'm thinking is, is, oh my gosh, we're in Mexico. We're in Mexico. I just want to be home. And, um, they take us to the hospital. We get out of the taxi and we walk in and I'm just like, Oh no, this is not where I want you. This is not where I want to be. And they take him back into this big room with a bunch of people that are laying on cots and stretchers and what have you. And, um, they just start giving, they said he's dehydrated, which we, that we could guess that. And so they start giving him IV fluids and, they just, there he lays for hours. And I said, well, what are we going to do? There, are we going to do any tests? Are we going to? And I didn't understand a lot of what they were trying to tell mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. We're signing paperwork and we're doing all this stuff and they're going to admit him. Uh, but nothing, no, no, no testing had been done. They just were getting his fluids back in line. So they would not let me stay. So I had to leave. Oh. And when they put him in his, when they, oh, when they you put had to him leave in him his, at the hospital, mm-hmm, I had to leave. Oh my gosh. And I remember having to use the restroom and going into that restroom and it was a brown, oh, who has dark brown toilets, but they, it was a dark brown toilet and it had cracks all in the seat, which I'm thinking, you know, gosh, if nothing, nothing industrial, nothing. It was like using a very, very old dilapidated building toilet. Yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is this room going to look like? And, uh, they got him in his room and it's as I expected. And I just like, didn't want to leave. And they said, we, we can't have you stay. We, they don't have, they don't stay in Mexico, I guess. So I left, I got the, I got, I had a taxi, take me back. And it was a 20 minute drive or so back. And I called my, I called my dad and I'm bawling my eyes out. And I'm like, dad, don't tell mom, don't tell the boys. Something's happened. You know, Tab is in the hospital in my, here and I need your help and I don't know what to do. And I, and he's just like, Rob, my hands are tied. You, you have to, you have to take this situation and, and, and try to get back here, do whatever. Um, there's just not much we can do being in the States. So just do whatever you can to get back here. And I said, okay. So the next morning, 5 AM, I called the hospital and it took me 30 minutes to get through to tab because of me. They didn't understand me. I didn't understand them. 
And I was trying to say his name. He's a patient. And they, it, I finally, they finally got me through. And he was having a hard time breathing and said, you have to come get me. I can't breathe. And I'm like, I'm on my way. So I go down to Apple Vacations and I said, I need a flight. And I did a flight ASAP. And they said, well, we have one today with like four seats left at two o'clock. I'm like, put me on it. And I got a taxi, went back to the hospital and I walked in and he was struggling with breathing. And I said, we, we have to go. And they're like, no, 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 you can't go. And I'm like, oh, we're going. And I like ripped his IV out of his arm. It's dripping all over the floor and they're screaming at me. And I'm like, we have a taxi waiting. I'm, I'm taking him. And so I had to sign all this paperwork that they weren't liable. And I get it. I get it that I get that. And away we went. I wheelchaired him to the, the taxi and we went back and all he did was when we got back is lay in the bathtub because he was burning up and um, throwing up and his head was still hurting and now he can't breathe. Um, so I told him, I said, okay, now you have to, you have to behave in the airport. You can't act like this because they won't let us fly. <laughs> I was just like, right. we just how need are to we going to do this? So we need to, to get like... back and we have a flight. We have a flight. So right. let's do this. Um, uh, let's do this. And we packed everything. We had unpacked everything and dresser drawers. We were going to be there a week. And uh, I mean, I have never moved so fast and packed and oh, got to the um, airport and um, running a little bit late, but we made it. And he just wanted to lay on the floor at the airport because it was cool. And he oh. was obviously internally burning up. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, you can't lay on the floor. You need to just sit here. He goes, but I'm so hot. And I'm like, let's just get on this plane. Right. And we'll be, we'll be great. We'll, we'll be home and, and, you know, in no time we'll be home. So we get on the we get on the plane and back then they served meals, big meals on the plane and the smells were making them super nauseated. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no, don't, don't be sick. Or, you know, I'm trying to just say, we're going to be fine. Just breathe deep breaths, deep breaths. We can do this. And the flight attendant knew something was going on and she's like, sir, are you okay? And he's like, I'm just, I'm not feeling well. I haven't felt well for a day or so now. And, um, They said, um, should we call, uh, you know, sh should you fly? We're, we're a little apprehensive about you flying. And they ended up, I didn't, I told the truth. I said that he was in the hospital and he's out of the hospital and we just need to get back to the States. So they were trying to call the hospital to make sure everything was okay and that he was okay to fly and that he didn't have infection, you know, something, uh, infectious disease, and we're on the plane. Mm -hmm. And they never were able to get through to the doctor. And it was time to fly like they were are we were already holding up this flight, mm -hmm. people were getting antsy. And they closed the doors in that moment, we took off, I was just like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we get up and the button 30 minutes into the flight, I look at him and I said, we did it. We're going to make it back. And his lips were blue. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And he's like, well, no, I'm not okay. But I said, honey, your lips are blue. And he's like, yeah, just still having a hard time breathing. And um, the couple behind us could tell something we were talking and they could hear, they could hear the distress in our voices. And they leaned through the seat, the gal did. And she's like, is everything okay? And I'm like, no, it's not. We don't know what's going on. We just need to get back home. They were EMTs. They were brother and sister coming back from vacation. And they said, do you mind if we just come up and take a look? And I'm like, no. So at that point they came up and they said, well, we're just going to take him to the back of the plane and um, we'll keep you posted. And at that point, I guess they gave him nitrate and they tried, he was just, things were happening. We didn't know what, but things were starting to happen and um, move forward to getting really close to Chicago. Uh, he stayed in the back of the plane with the, 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 the wonderful people that I don't even know who they were that took care of him back there. Um, 
when we got close to Chicago, we were told we were in a holding pattern that uh, there were like four uh, planes in front of us that needed to land. And I'm like, gosh, no, 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 no. We just, so we just circled O'Hare and we circled O'Hare and we circled O'Hare for 45 minutes. And as we were um, landing, the pilot came on and said there was emergency on, on the plane and that everyone was to remain seated and that they would be um, letting us off first because an ambulance would be waiting on the tarmac. And that it was. When we finally landed, uh, we get into the ambulance and he's, my, I mean, Tap's cracking jokes. He's trying to, you know, just, he's, he's just making jokes. He was a very, very funny guy and, and joked about everything. And he was joking, hardly able to breathe. And I don't remember even what hospital we went to. Mm -hmm. There's so much of this. I still don't know, like the name of the hospital the name of the doctors. I don't remember any of that, but we get there and there was infectious disease, heart, lot. We had just like six doctors waiting for him. And, um, they were asking all sorts of questions and they said, well, we're going to take them for a little bit. We'll come back Robin and get you and just, um, hang with us and we'll be back to get you. They put me in a waiting room and I don't know how much time went by. I don't think it was very long. They came and got me and said, um, we are going to have to intubate him. And the only thing he has going for him is his age. He was 36. I was 32. And I'm like, okay. So they intubated him and brought me back to him and said, we're going to go run some tests. So just, he can't talk to you, but go ahead and, and you know, talk to him and, and we'll be back. And I just, I'm lovingly yelling. <laughs> I say lovingly because I feel like to this day I was mean. I was like, you have to fight. You have to fight. You have boy, we love you. And you have two small boys and we can't live without you. You just need to fight. And I just see these two tears trickle out his eyes. And, oh. um, and I said, I love you, but I still felt like I was super like, this can't be happening. And, and you better do this. You, you just better fight. And they take him away and put me in this waiting room. And I don't believe anybody was in there with me. I had a tank top and shorts on and it, now we're in Chicago and this is September. And they gave me some warming blankets and a cup of tea and said they would be back. And it's that moment, uh, probably, again, I don't know, time kind of stood still, but maybe half hour, um, it seemed like forever. They, uh, three doctors, a nurse, they all walk in and it's like out of a medical drama mm -hmm. that the hats are coming off, the masks are coming off and this look, you just, mm -hmm. th this look, you just know. Mm -hmm. And he was gone. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember crawling up the doctor's lab coat, like trying, it was just, I, I, and I don't know what else I did. I just, my family could, they weren't there yet. I had no, they knew we were flying into Chicago and they got lost to get to the hospital. And I was just alone. And mm -hmm. I just lost Tab. Yeah. And they said, um, I was hysterical. I know I just was beyond hysterical. And they said, we will be back to get you so you can spend time with him and your family's on their way. They should be here. Um, time went by and I was able to go in and sit with him. And, um, you know, there were bubbles coming out of his mouth. And I thought, you're, you know, it just, you're not gone. You're not gone. And I had, mm -hmm. you know my time, um, I didn't get to say goodbye. And that's mm -hmm. a really, that's still a huge challenge for me today. Mm -hmm. Goodbyes. And we can maybe touch on that, but, um, mm -hmm. I am told by a nurse that my mom and dad are pulling in with the boys and how did I want to handle this? Did oh I, wanna, you know, and I said, well, Ugh. to the nurse, will you Hang on to the boys. I will tell my parents first. They can go in and be with him. 
And then I want to tell my boys. And um, that's how it happened. My mom and dad couldn't, obviously in shock. And I sent them away. Then I grabbed the boys and and their faces. Just, um, it's, it's always in my mind. It's Mm -hmm. always there. And um, Mm -hmm. we, jumping forward, um, the hotel, or sorry, the uh, hospital um, put us up in a a hotel suite so that my mom and dad, and then my sister, uh, both my sisters and brother-in-laws, they they came shortly after my mom and dad arrived. And they, uh, it was accommodating to all of us to stay there. And I just remember I don't remember, I remember sleeping with the boys. I just remember my dad and my mom and and I I was so, I think that's when shock set in. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point and for the days to come until like the funeral shot, I was in shock. I was in total shock. Um, I I know my sister and brother-in-law took the boys back to Michigan to keep them there until the funeral. I went with my mom and dad back down to Northern Indiana to collect things. And I just remember the doctor telling me that we didn't need an autopsy, that he died of pneumonia. And that just didn't make sense to me. Hmm. He didn't even have a cold. So my dad's like, you, you need a, you need to get, the, you need to get an autopsy. And I'm glad I did. And the autopsy was ordered. Um, and he had a subarachnoid, subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is a brain aneurysm that didn't rupture. It was leaking. If it would have burst, he would have died probably instantly. Okay. Uh, but it was just that leakage was putting a lot of poison into his body, which was the headache and vomiting and fever and everything. So, um, I'm glad we did the autopsy so that we knew, but that took an extra day and trying to get his body back from Chicago to Michigan and having the funeral was right at my youngest son, Logan's birthday. They wanted his funeral on September 26th. He died um, on September 21st. And I said, we cannot have this funeral on my son's birthday. I am not going to, but it was the day before, which was really no better. Mm. So, Robin, this was like 24 hours from 48 hours from, from the time that he 48 hours from when that we're first horseback headache. riding to dying. I mean, yeah. Just such. I mean, I just think like pausing there to acknowledge, I think we say it often and it almost becomes rhetoric, but that the fragility of life. And oh, the fragility, the preciousness that you can you mm-hmm. go from this this beautiful romantic moment of mm-hmm. him on his knee, packing a tuxedo and a dress for you, and just this like this deep, lovely celebration, and then in forty eight hours, that is so much to to process, to experience, to think, to, for, I mean, for your body, for your heart, um, you talk about that shock. I mean, I just, yeah. I know there are several stories of people I've, that we will talk to that have just lived in through that traumatic experience and that sense of shock and numbness and yeah. unimaginable, unimaginable pain when those unexpected things mm-hmm. happen like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you moved forward with this pain, how did you, how did you find your way with this, this sense of fragility, just knowing how fragile everything was? How hard was that for you to try to, to move, to move forward with this grief? having such a, such a traumatic experience. It's so very different than someone who experiences a progressive disease or, you know, just not that any kind of loss is easy or better, or, you know, it's hard in so many different ways, but how did, how did you find your way from such a traumatic experience? What were, 
how was that? How were those those days and weeks and years as you well, started to make sense of that? The, it, it, it was, you know, um, probably the wrong way, but others, I don't know if there's a wrong or right way. There is never, mm. ever a time frame on grief. I mm-hmm. will stress that more than anything because I have talked to many people who've lost and who are going through grief and this has taken me two years. There's no time limit on grief because with grief, there's love in, in a bun. It's bundled. There's a lot of love there mm-hmm. that with the grief and you, that you have to, you have to process all that. I feel like you just have to process all of that. Um, I, I would looking back, I, I probably was, I just went right back to my full-time job. I didn't give myself, Mm. you know, even a week or I I don't even think it was a week that I said, it's just time to get the boys back in school. It is time to get back to work. I was working full-time. It is just time to be heads down. And I am their only pair. I am these boys' only parent, their safety net, their biggest safety net is now gone. And I have to protect me because now I'm their only parent. What if something happens to me? I think with, with, um, my, the trauma, I became very anxious, which led to a little bit of OCD and that all plays into the person I am today. Um, which, which isn't bad. I'm just, you know, you are a different person. Well, you're shaped by um, your experiences. You're shaped by your you are, pain, you your are. joy, those. Yeah. You're shaped by that. I, right. And I, I remember our close knit community. We had a very close community we lived in where all the, the, you know, four elementary schools, one middle school, one high school, and, and everyone, all, all the boys played t-ball and tab was a t-ball referee or not t-ball, sorry, baseball, well, t-ball up into baseball years. Um, everyone knew him. Um, everyone, I ran a, a market day program at the school. I was on the PTO board. Um, every, you know, a lot of, we knew a lot of people and our community was so supportive and so wonderful to us. And an acquaintance, she was an acquaintance at that point, who is now one of my dearest friends. She organized dinners and just, um, community things for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was great until I called her and said, Hey, I'm trying to get back to normal and everyone's at the door at night with these wonderful meals. And I'm so, so grateful, but they want to know the story and Mm. it's now dark and I have boys to do homework with and feed. And I said, can you stop those meals? (laughs) But again, I was so grateful for them. It's just trying to um, start what I, uh, a new normal, uh, Mm -hmm. a, a, on top of the grief, mm-hmm. on top of going to bed every night and crying and not wanting the boys to hear me and waking up like it's all okay. And then you have that empty chair at the dinner table mm-hmm. and you, and my boys, they were so good and they were, you know, I was constantly, you are boys you do not, you know, they, Lance, my oldest was, you know, I have to be the protector. They both were kind of that way. And it was just so hard to meet for me to see them trying to step up into a role, mm-hmm. which is they're not meant for mm-hmm. at eight and 11. Mm-hmm. They need to be boys. So that has always, that has always just hurt my heart so much for, from that day forward, they, their life changed so much and they became different people. And I, I often wonder who they'd be today. They're great. They're, they're great, but they're not who they would have been. Mm. I'm not either. Yeah. So don't um, we, we, we can't help but wonder when life takes these turns, what would things have been like if it was different? How could things, um, how would life have unfolded differently if this hadn't Mm -hmm. happened? Um, how do you balance that I, perceived future well, and that wondering and that that loss I, with like uh, the acceptance? 
I, I didn't balance that well. I, I, I just head down went, I, I felt like I was, became more shorter with the, I, I, I was short with the boys. I was, you know, um, the mortgage payment and the, the two car payments and the, the taxes and just utilities. How am I going to do all this? Mm-hmm. And I knew I could do it. It was just the fear of doing it. Um, and I, I just remember, um, a month into, um, not having tab with us any longer, a friend of mine invited me to a progressive dinner and I called my mom and she said, you haven't been out of the house in a month other than work. Um, you should go. And I didn't want to go. And I thought, you know, just do something fun. So this couple picked me up and we go to this progressive dinner. Um, and I, um, not knowing they had another person coming to this progressive dinner. They wanted me to meet who was a male. And had I known that I would have never gone because yeah. I'm like, Oh, had I known they, I, I mean, I am a month into this and I am not, I am, you know, and I found out this is what happened. And, and this person that they wanted me to meet had a date that night. So that was good. <laughs> he was there with a date, but as time, um, went on a little bit, you know, weeks later, there was a snowstorm and this guy and his son who happens to be in class, the same classroom as Lance comes and shovels my driveway. I look out and there's these, there's this dad and this boy shovel in my driveway. We had a bad snowstorm and I had to get to work. And I just basically waved from the window and I'm like, Oh, that's that guy that was at the progressive dinner that I met. And then it was um, a week later, and he's at this basketball game with his son, my and Lance is on the basketball team, and all these little things um, kept. I kept bumping into this guy mm-hmm. in this market day program I ran. Uh, he was a volunteer and helped unload the truck, and. Um, He then, his son had a birthday party and asked, Nick asked Lance to, to come to his birthday. And I remember being like, um, Hey, I know you, we shook hands. Um, you were at that progressive dinner. Um, so as I'm grieving, um, this guy just keeps popping in, you know, in and out. I keep bumping into him and, um, he asked me for my email and we started emailing and whether, and at that point, I'm grieving and I'm like, you you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. Um, this isn't fair to tap. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I, I, my best friend is like, what are you thinking? What? No, no, no. And anyway, um, I am married to this man <laughs> and we have, we, we, it was a, a very short courting. Um, he, I don't high the higher up. God, Tab, somebody had a hand in, in, in putting this man into my life multiple times uh, in my darkest, darkest, darkest days. Mm-hmm. And um, as I think back, it was probably way too soon. And I had issues later with that. But we are still married. We blended a family. He had custody of his three children. Um, they all get along very wonderfully. We don't say we're a step family. We don't, we go, we don't call steps. Mm. Um, so, um, and, and I did, I struggled five years into our marriage where I ended up having to leave for a little while. And I went back home and I rented a house and got um, some therapy. We had been into little, the boys and I did some therapy, um, not as much as we should have at the beginning. And I had just kind of a breaking point again um, into our marriage. And um, Doug was my biggest supporter in this. And he knew it, it, it was a part of the grieving process that I didn't fully do. And I had to go to the gravesite and I had to write a letter mm-hmm. and I threw through my counseling and um, here I am. Well, I think what I hear as I listen to your 
your story, Robin, is just this like, it's like kind of just like, and I know it wasn't peaceful in the time, but this like, maybe the word is grace, like this graceful open heart to face the struggle and the, the grief and the pain, but then also to accept the help and to be loved and to allow life to unfold. And, um, but also I just think it's really beautiful that, you know, that you shared that when it didn't feel right, when you were struggling with that new marriage and that pain that you also gave your, yourself time to step back and have time for yourself and reflect and be with your feelings. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, that must've been really hard. It was difficult. It was difficult. And Doug, Doug was two years divorced. And, um, I think that there was a part of him feeling, um, I mean, I, I'm like, or him taking advantage of my vulnerability. No, I would not say that he would never have wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. He was ready to find somebody and fall in love and settle down. Um, I was, I wasn't ready. So I think I wasn't ready, but I was in a very good marriage. And I think that love was so strong. I just, I wanted to love again. Mm -hmm. I, I knew at 32 that I wasn't going to not love again. I have so much love. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lover. Mm -hmm. I'm a giver. And, um, there's, like I said, there's no time frame on grief. Mm -hmm. And I know people want to put a time frame on it. And whether it's you, whether you're four years or I'm a year or whoever, it's just, I, I lost friends over it. I remember my parents weren't real thrilled, but they, they understood it later. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think anyone, there's no path to follow. I mean, there are, you know, no. I, I do, I find, I find some guidance in these, you know, the, six steps of grief, which, um, you mm -hmm. know, there is some kind of like benchmarks or things that are commonalities mm -hmm. around grief, which allow us sometimes mm -hmm. allow us to like make sense of it because we mm -hmm. see like, Oh, this anger, this anger is, a, is a, an appropriate feeling. It's a stage or depression or, you know, like the, this, the stages, yeah. but that, that, that is not like a, a one size fits all, or even how you, when you love again or how you love again. I think right. what's beautiful about your story is that, um, you've just had this open, graceful heart through it and that you have maintained or maybe it's even maybe it's even brightened the light that you have Robin because if, um when you connect with other people you you listen so intently you love so deeply you help so willingly and I think that that maybe is because of these experiences these all of this that you have faced that you just you recognize the strength of relationships and mm -hmm. the beauty mm -hmm. of connection. Yeah. I do have issues with goodbyes. I, mm -hmm. Doug and I were newly married and he was going out to mow and said, Hey, I'm going out to mow. And he, uh, I went out to, he had, a, he got a phone call and I went out to get him off the mower and he is gone and his truck is gone. And I, went ballistic. Mm -hmm. He came back. I am sobbing hysterically. And he's like, what is wrong? I'm like, you left without saying goodbye. And I mean, I felt so bad for him mm -hmm. because he didn't know how to handle that. And I have a sign. I have a sign that says, always kiss me, not goodnight, but goodbye. <laughs> and it's in our garage. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, you, you know, this is just something um, I, I have a hard time with is making sure, you know, you're not going to just leave without a goodbye. Mm. And, um, but my, my, I have extreme empathy to also, uh, to people, uh, that have gone through a similar situation. Mm -hmm. I just want to reach out mm -hmm. and I want to help. And nine 11 was a year after. And I mm. just, I wanted to just be in the throes of that to help all these widows and widowers going through and small children who have gone through, you know, a, a similar situation. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I did a year before. And well, um, there's so much power in our, in sharing your story, you know, and that's, that's what we do at Hope Scarves 
as, you know, you can be surrounded by people who care for you, but when you connect with somebody who really shares that similar story and that experience and can relate to some of those deep emotions and, um, there's strength in that there's, there is so much, um, there's so much empowerment and just finding that common ground through that shared story. And I hope that today sharing this story here on the podcast and for you just opening up your heart and sharing, sharing this experience, um, I know is going to touch someone who's going to just really recognize, you know, the fragility of, of this experience of being human, the preciousness of, of being with those we love, the importance of telling each other, we love them, of of saying goodbye, of having that, that sense of connection and closure with people we love. Um, there's so many important lessons there in this story, Robin. I'm, I'm so grateful for you to open up your heart this morning. And I know that, um, going back to that time, is hard. And so I just honor your vulnerability and your honesty to, to share your beautiful story. Thank you, Laura. No, I'm honored to share it with you. Mm. Well, and I think it's important to keep those we love alive in our lives through their stories. And, um, I love knowing about this uh, hopelessly romantic tab I can, and how he, created that evening with you, his tuxedo and your dress and, um, you know, that marriage and that love is a part of you always. And you move forward into a different chapter in your life, um, not letting go, but carrying it with you. Yeah. And my boys are his legacy. That's for sure. Mm. They, 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 sound like him. My youngest looks just like Mm. him. So they do, they carry on his legacy, which is, uh, warms my heart Mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. Mm. Robin, thank you for spending time today, sharing your story. You're oh, sure. We are going to pivot to the lightning round, which is the way I like to end each podcast. Um, asking a couple questions as it relates to a hopeful life, which you are certainly an example of, um, the way that you live each day and share light and love, um, despite everything that you've been through or because of everything you've been through, maybe even as a better way of saying it, that you just, you love it so openly. So help me answer a couple questions. Sure. Fill in the blank. Hope is. Hope is never lost. Mm. We know a hopeful life is not just realized in the perfect happy moments, but also in the struggle. When you are in one of those hard moments, what gets you through? Um... Well, there's multiples, but I could do these all in one day. (laughs) I probably do. A good book, uh, a walk with my good camera, taking pictures of nature, Mm. um, baking, Mm. obviously baking, (laughs) um, or creating something, doing something uh, with my hands and Mm. kind of busy work gets me through that, that tough time. There is so much to this idea that you can take something painful, put it outside yourself and create something with that. And I see that in you, um, in, in your baking and your, in your art in your love that, um, when we can make, make meaning out of our pain, um, it's healing. So keep, keep doing that. Keep, keep, keep baking and keep, keep being creative. Um, that's my plan. Mm. Besides your family, friends, faith, and phone, what is something you can't live without? Oh, gosh. Um, That's a toss-up. Music. Mm -hmm. That's a good answer. Music. 
what type of music do you like listen to? Like, what's your like go to? Like, I just I like a cozy evening. Everything. I am a soft lounge music oh. jazz. Yeah. Okay. But I love everything. <laughs> I love that. Me too. Some people call it a bucket list. I call it a wonder list. What is on your wonder list that will make your hopeful life complete? Learning to play the piano. Mm. I want to learn that someday. I hope you will. I'll hold you to it. I hope so too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being with us this morning and for sharing your story and um, just helping, helping express, you know, this, this human experience and how fragile it is and how deeply we love and how we move forward with grief, how we open our heart to possibility and just your example of living a hopeful life is truly inspirational. So thank you for being with us today. Well, you are a true inspiration and thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to our stories. I hope you take away something you can apply to your hopeful life. Help keep the Hopeful Life momentum going by sharing our podcast and take a minute to rate and write a review. If you'd like to learn more, check out our websites, myhopefullife.org and hopescarves.org.